Uh, and if you're wondering what we're looking for in worship here, that was it. We're getting there. Lord, thank you that you meet us, that you inhabit the praises of your people. Thank you that when we turn our attention to you, you come running across the room to meet us. So uh, help us to hear your voice this morning. Uh, keep our attention. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. y'all saved the singing for when we got back or what, but that was real. Thank you. Uh, a couple things. Good to be back. Good to see your faces. Uh, just, this is a random thing, but out in the lobby are copies of this book. It's called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Um, this was one of 2020, Christianity's, the, hang on, you got me all flabbergasted. Yeah. Uh, this was one of Christianity Today's 2020 Book of the Year Award winners. And back in the spring, I got an email that said the publisher was giving away free cases. I hadn't read it, but, you know, getting a box of 50 for free was cheaper than buying one. So <laughs> I said, I'll take it. Uh, and I, I read this. I'm just saying, I read this. Uh, on part of it on vacation, and it was just so good. So they're out in the lobby. Please take one. Um, it's, it's about those two words, gentle and lowly, come from Matthew 11 or 13, where Jesus describes his heart. And when Jesus describes his own heart in the Gospels, he describes himself as gentle and lowly. Uh, and so just a really beautiful book. Um, I think this is not to be confused with the books that we'll be doing in groups, our blessed groups this fall, but I think it's actually like a pretty good primer on how does Jesus feel towards sinners, which includes you and me. So when we mess up, when we are in suffering, how does Jesus feel toward us? So please read this. It's really good. Uh, it will wreck you. Um, so it's out there. There's that. We are leaving behind the book of Acts today. I had planned on um, doing kind of a wrapping up of the book of Acts today, and the Lord said, Actually, that's not what you're going to be preaching on. And so um, I did something I don't normally do. I had a sermon done on Thursday, and uh, the Lord was kind of like, uh, that's nice. That's not what you're going to be preaching this weekend, and I will tell you what you're preaching on on Saturday. <laughs> uh, and so... Uh, Preston pointed out a few weeks ago, you said always go with plan A, and evidently I was working on plan B, so <laughs> is, I, is the best I understand it. Um, so this whole weekend has been one of really kind of, uh, sometimes the life of faith is one where we are on a trapeze and you let go of one and you are just flying through the air, hoping that second bar will rise up to meet you. The second bar rose up to meet me in the first gathering, so I'm confident it will rise up to meet me again in the second. So if you have a Bible, meet me in Exodus 13. We'll be back in, Ath uh, in Acts, not Athens. You were in Athens. Last By the way, Randy had a powerful world word from the Lord last week. Uh, so if you did not hear that, please get on the podcast and listen to it. It 
really just appreciated her work on that passage. Really appreciate that we have like a team of communicators. Super helpful too. Um, but we're going to be kind of reflecting on Exodus chapter 13 this morning. So if you have a Bible, Exodus chapter 13. It's the second book of the Bible. It's easy to find. Over the last couple weeks, there we've just been watching headline after headline after headline that is just bad news after bad news after bad news, yeah? Uh, whether that's Afghanistan or Haiti. Uh, we have dear friends in Cuba. It's only getting worse there. It's not getting better. Uh, school went back in session and it was mask or do, do we mask or do we not mask, hi Annie? It was mask or no mask. It was uh, vaccine or no vaccine. And there is anger and there is confusion and there is fear. And I, I have just felt so burdened by that. I have just felt so heavy with that. I have felt so tired of the arguing. I have felt so tired of the division. You see, we thought the wilderness was over, and we were wrong. Uh, If you remember, in the spring of 2020, when we were live streaming, okay, what was that? That was Steph's iPhone on a tripod right there. Uh, we located this, that time of isolation and stay at home, we located that in the Bible's image of wilderness. Wilderness. That place where Jesus spends 40 days, that place where Israel spends 40 years. It's a place where heroes of the faith like Hagar and Elijah and David spend time. What is the wilderness? It is more than a desert. It is more than a geographical place. It is more than a biome. The wilderness is a place of isolation. The wilderness is a place of scarcity. But even more importantly, it is a place where there is little evidence that God is who he says he is. The wilderness is a place where there is little proof we are who God says we are. And yet, this place of isolation, this wilderness, is paradoxically a place where God's people have over and over and over again encountered him in a deeper way. They've found the wilderness to actually be a place of blessing, right? So let's look at Exodus 13. We find Israel in the wilderness, and I'll give you some context to this. Exodus 13, starting in verse 17, it says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. Let's just stop here and talk about God is not interested in the shortest route anywhere. Okay? God said, if my people are faced with a battle... They might change their minds and return to Egypt. They might return to the house of slavery. Verse 18, so God led them in a roundabout way. Anybody feel like they are being led in a roundabout way? Okay, roundabout way. Through the, There are like three people that raised their hands. Everybody else is lying. Um, <laughs> roundabout way through the wilderness toward the Red Sea, and thus the Israelites left Egypt. Look at this. They left Egypt like an army ready for battle. 
Verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph made the sons of Israel swear to do this. He said, Joseph said, God will certainly come to help you, and when he does, you must take my bones with you from this place. Verse 20, the Israelites left Succoth and camped at Etham on the, vill- on the edge of the wilderness. Now this is what I want you to see. The, verse 21, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. Verse 22 says, And the Lord allowed them to, the Lord did not remove the pillar of cloud or of the pillar of fire from its place in front of the people. Let me just give you some context, because if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, we're kind of deep into it. So, God has always called to himself a people. Uh, And in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the First Testament, The people that God has called to himself, the people that God has chosen to dwell among is a nation called Israel. But when he first chose them, they were just a family. That Joseph guy, his great-grandfather was a dude named Abraham. Abraham and his wife Sarah had no kids, and the Lord took him out out of his tent one night and said, look up at the stars and count them, and you will have more descendants than there are up there. And so the Lord chose Abraham and began to work in Abraham and Sarah's life. They had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had a whole bunch of sons, one of whom was named Joseph. His brothers didn't really like him, Joseph, so they sold him into slavery. The other option was killing him. So, you know, it's kind of a better option. And um, they sold him into slavery in Egypt where things went well, then things went poorly, then things started going really well again. Uh, And Joseph and his family living back up in Israel are... Uh, in famine, and uh, Joseph has led the people of Egypt to really, uh, like, save up some grain. The Lord had given him some vision to prepare for this time. And so, uh, through a series of circumstances, we got to preach through the Joseph story sometime. It's one of my favorites in the Bible, but we, uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, these families, these tribes come down to live in Egypt. And over a period of 400 years, they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. And there's so many Israelites living within the Egyptian border. Uh, they start, the Egyptians start to get nervous. And a king, a pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, gets really nervous about these people. And he says, wait a minute, I have an idea. So they enslave the people of Israel. They enslave an entire nation uh, to build an empire. And actually, if you can go home and Google this, we can, we, archaeologists have found bricks from this era of history uh, that Israelite hands made. And so God's people cry out to the Lord for a deliverer, and the Lord raises up a man named Moses who goes toe-to-toe with the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. There's 10 plagues. And then we get to Exodus 13. Uh, those 10 plagues break the will of the Egyptian king. And so they send Israel out. They send Israel out with all of their riches. They say, please just go. And so there they are on the edge of this wilderness, and God gives them a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide them. And it's just supposed to be a few days' journey over uh, the Sinai Peninsula, this little bit between Egypt and the Promised Land, Israel, the Promised Land. God has said, this place, you're going to love it. It's flowing with milk and honey In the book of Joshua, they get a glimpse of it. They say, you should see the size of the grapes that they're growing there. That's where the juicy fruit is. We're going to take this land. Um, It's just going to be a couple days' journey. And then something happens that extends the time in wilderness. They've been in the wilderness a few days, and they start to get a little angry. 
people of Israel start to complain. They say, you know what, it was actually better in Egypt. I mean, y'all, listen, their hands, I mean, they've barely had the shackles off their wrists, right? There's still calluses there, right? And they're like, you know what, at least it was better in Egypt. We had pots of meat. I mean, I don't know about you, nothing sounds more appetizing than a pot of meat left in the hot Egyptian sun, but... Uh, uh, they say there were pots of meat there, it was better. They start to complain, they start to grumble, and a whole generation rebels against the Lord. And so the Lord extends their few days' journey in the wilderness to four decades, to 40 years. They wander in a wilderness they could have crossed in a couple days because of their rebellion and sin. Now, now hear me. I, this is where our stories diverge. Our time in the wilderness is extending. But I'm not seeking to imply that it's vaxxers or non-vaxxers, maskers or non-maskers or these kinds of things. It's that this complaining that has extended our time in the wilderness. I'm just here to say, we, like Israel, have found our wilderness journey extended. We've found ourselves in an even greater wilderness. So what do we do? What do we do when the wilderness we're in extends? Well, what we need, what we need is a compass, right? We need a compass that can guide us out of the wilderness. But there's another problem. See, the first problem is the wilderness is getting bigger. The second problem is there's a lot of compasses to choose from. And there are some really bad compasses, and there's some better compasses. And I'll tell you what a bad compass is to navigate this wilderness. A bad compass is social media, cable news, and political pundits. Those are bad compasses. And when it comes to social media, we have created a, a phenomenon that we were not made to live with. You and I were not built to know as much as we know. 24-7 News, we were not built to know as much as we know. Back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis, in, in Genesis, there's a tree, and it's a tree of knowledge. And God says, I don't want you to eat that. Right? Right? There's another tree, it's the tree of life. He says, I don't want you to eat that. If you eat of those trees, you're going to become like God. And here's, spoiler alert, we are not God. We are not made we are not crafted to hold the weight of godhood. But what we have done through social media and 24-7 news is we've created for ourselves a shadow of omniscience. Omniscience is a word that means all-knowing. God is omniscient. God knows all things about all people in every place throughout all of history. God sees all of history through one eternal now, Right? But we've created for ourselves in social media and in cable news, we've created for ourselves a shadow of omniscience. We have a godlike ability to know about what's going on in the world. I mean, 2,000 years ago, you and I are Israelites living in Bethlehem. I'm just tilling my field. I don't know about an earthquake in Haiti. I don't know what's going on over there. I don't know what's going on over here. I have enough troubles for my own self, right? Right? And I think this is why the enemy, I was talking to Joey and Julie after the first gathering, the enemy uses that a level of knowledge to cause us to question God's goodness 
Because like, let's remove all of the global events of the last two weeks. Your life still sucks. <laughs> right? Which is worse? Is it the time I said your life still sucks or is it the time I called everybody old? And when I, what did I say a couple weeks ago? You're old, you're going to die. You know? I don't know which is better. Uh, Kyle needs to go, evidently Kyle needs to go back on vacation to be a little... Okay. <laughs> Steph says... But the enemy uses, like the hardship in our own life, magnified by a degree of whatever, as we learn about global events, to really cause us to question, like, how could a good and loving God allow any of this to happen? Not just the personal stuff that I'm going through, but these global, national things, right? It's created for us, like, a God-like omniscience that we're not supposed to have. And so then there's this discouragement and this heaviness, and in come the talking heads of Instagram or Fox News or CNN. And what they want to do, here's how they make their money. These people make their money in the wilderness. They make their money by telling you how bad the wilderness is. They make their money by telling you whose fault it is that we're in the wilderness. And their job isn't to guide you. Their job is to inflame you. Do not be deceived. These people are not here to inform. They are not here to guide. They are here to get a reaction from you. Right? Talking heads, social media, cable news, it's a bad compass. It's a bad compass. There's a better compass, and the better compass is the presence of Jesus. It's the presence of God. Because what does God give them in the wilderness? Because listen, they rebel, right? And God says, we're going to wait off 40 years because we need this entire generation to die. It's a really unique perspective on sin. God says, I can't let this sinful generation stain the thing I'm going to do in the land, so we need to let them die off, right? They've created a cloud of sin that we need to pass away before we can enter into this new thing. But guess what God does not remove from them while they wander in the wilderness for 40 years? He does not remove the pillar of cloud. He does not remove the pillar of fire. And I don't know if you've been to the desert lately, but it's hot there, right? And so the Lord in his grace gives his people a shadow, a pillar of cloud to walk under. At night, I mean, we kind of live in the middle of nowhere, but I mean, you know, go out in the middle of nowhere. Go, I don't know, to Newton Falls. I'm just kidding. <laughs> go way out in the country. Go, go, out to, go out west. Go to South Dakota. Go to Kansas. Go to a place where you can watch your dog run away for three days. Go out there and turn off, go out there and turn off the lights. It is dark. It is dark, y'all. And so the Lord says, Here's a, he's, the Lord turns on the light. Here's a pillar of fire. So you can see by night. The Lord's presence is one of comfort. The Lord's presence is one of relief as we walk through the wilderness. And I'll tell you, that other compass, it ain't, it ain't offering relief. It ain't offering wisdom. It, it doesn't do that. It stirs you up. It makes you mad. It gets you all angsty, right? The presence of the Lord is where peace resides. A better compass is the presence of God. A better compass is Jesus Jesus, who says in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, 
The Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. He says, whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Isn't it interesting to think that Jesus looks beyond himself for wisdom? That Jesus, a compass, our, our true compass, even looks beyond himself to a truer compass. He looks to the Father and he says, I only do what I see my Father doing. Listen, a better compass in these strange days is not found in left or right. It's not found in your political inclinations. A better compass in these strange days isn't what a blog or a post tells you what to think. A better compass, a reliable compass is Jesus. And Jesus even says, I just do what I see the Father doing. The best compass is discerning, discerning what the Father is doing in this moment and doing exactly that. And I think this is really important because what we're, we're asking the wrong questions. We're watching all of these things going on, and I can find you talking heads that are saying, this is what God is doing in the world. And here's my problem with that. They're not Isaiah. They're not Jeremiah. They're not Daniel. They don't have the office of prophet to hear the word of the Lord and to tell me what's going on nationally. What your attention needs to be given to as we discern what the Father is doing, what your attention is given to is not what in the world is God doing. It's what in the world is God doing in me in this season. It is giving sustained attention to you. It is giving sustained attention to what God is doing in you, giving sustained attention to the Father. That requires discernment, right? That requires a careful noticing, a sustained attention given to the Father so that we can know what He is seeking to do in us. And here's what you are thinking right now. You're thinking, I can't do that. I don't have a good prayer life. I can't hear from God. I can't see what the Father's doing. I don't know how to do these things, and I'm here today to tell you that you are wrong because the very moment you placed your faith in Jesus, the full weight of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself came to reside in you as a temple. So Paul says you have the mind of Christ. Your pattern of thinking can be the same as the pattern of thinking as Jesus. Jesus says, in my life and death and resurrection, I have given you access to what the author of Hebrews calls the throne of grace. And let me tell you what grace means, because that's a Christian word. What does that mean? I heard somebody say yesterday, grace is this. Grace is let me do it for you, because you can't do it yourself. We have access through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus to the throne of let me do it for you, because you can't do it for yourself. The throne of grace. When I was at Moody, my undergrad, we had this building. It was called the Sweeting Center for World Evangelization. And I always joked, world evangelization starts right here. It's the center for it. Here we are. Tell you what, even better, we have access to the throne of grace, right? Not the office of a subsidiary of the throne of grace. See what I'm saying? Right? Not a, not a bureaucrat, 20 rungs down in the line of succession. We have access to the throne of let me do it for you. Jesus lived and died and rose again and gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that we could hear his voice and do what he says, even, even in and especially in seasons just like this one. So how do we discern God's voice in the wilderness? 
How do we listen for what God is doing? How do we see what our Father is doing and do it? How do we seek out the presence of God? Well, three quick practices. And the first is this. Well, let me, let me start here. Elijah in 1 Kings, the prophet Elijah is faced with a crisis. He is faced with a crisis of national confidence. He is faced with a crisis of two differing political views on the issues of his day. And overwhelmed by that crisis, Elijah does a great thing. He just runs away. He says, I'm just going to get out of here. And he runs out into the wilderness. He runs out into the same wilderness where centuries before his people wandered for 40 years. He wanders to the same mountain that Moses came down out of the fire holding tablets of stone that said, you shall have no other gods before me. The same mountain that Israel became God's chosen people. Elijah goes to that mountain. He climbs the mountain. He finds his way to a cave in that mountain. And while he's in a cave in that mountain, there is a wind and there is an earthquake and there is a fire. And the text says, God wasn't in the wind. God wasn't in the earthquake. God wasn't in the fire. There was Afghanistan, and there was Haiti, and there was political tensions over masks or no masks or vaccines or no vaccine, and who's shutting down, and how do we do it, and who's right, and who's wrong, and who's to blame? These are things to be grieved. These are things to be praying for. These are things to be, at times, righteously, righteously angry over. But hear me on this. In my perspective, they are the wind and the earthquake and the fire. God's voice is not in them. Let me tell you where God's voice was. Those things went by, and the text says his voice, they heard the Lord, and his voice was still and small. Still and small. So to hear that still, small voice, to discern what God's doing in the wilderness, to have a good compass, the first thing we need to do is seek out silence and solitude. Now let's, let's stop for a second. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. Silence and solitude are a very valuable currency in our house. <laughs> for a season there, I was trying to wake up like before Jack got up, Right? And I swear, I mean, the minute my foot would hit the, like, the, the first step, like our house is pretty quiet. It would like a gunshot, like bang, and Jack would be like, Phew. you know. <laughs> so we're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out what that looks like, but we need to create spaces of silence and solitude. Turn off the news. Set your phone down. Because God's not going to yell louder than whoever's on your TV. God's not going to talk louder than whatever's coming through your tablet or your phone. He's just not. He's just not going to compete. And so we create periods of silence in our home and we create periods of solitude. Even if that is standing in the shower even if that is just driving to work with the radio off, we create periods of silence and, small, and solitude, places where God can speak, where that still small voice can be heard 
over the clamor of all there is in our lives before we add national crises and international crises to them. We pursue silence and solitude to discern what God is doing. Second, we pray non-anxious prayers. So that's where I get you. We pray non-anxious prayers because it is possible to pray in a way that actually increases our anxiety. I mean, for that matter, it's possible to pray in a way that increases your self-righteousness. Jesus tells a story of a Pharisee and a poor man, a sinful man standing in the temple. And the Pharisee says, I thank you, God, that I am not sinful like him. He walked away from prayer not more humble. He walked away more self-righteous. Man, if I can walk out of prayer more self-righteous, I guarantee I can walk out of prayer more anxious. And here's how that happens. It happens when, as I pray, all I do is look at the situation. Right? So like, oh, the Afghani refugees and how many and the soldiers and 13 and this and, and who did it and, and Trump and Biden and this person and that person. And, that, and what that does is it just crowds the presence, of, your sense of the presence of Jesus out of there and you get up from prayer and you feel worse than when you knelt down to pray. Right? See, you know why worship just a few minutes ago was so good was because our eyes lifted above the situation, didn't we? Right? Our eyes like went like up, which is what scripture says, like set your minds, set your eyes on things in heaven where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. You reign above it all. You reign above it all. Over the earth and over every heart, over every heart in the Taliban, over every heart in Afghanistan, over every U.S. soldier, over every president. And so we pray non-anxious prayers, and non-anxious prayers are fundamentally prayers of gratitude. Okay? Listen to what Paul says in Philippians 4. He says, and if you were in vacation Bible school, whatever, you've memorized this verse, okay? Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Now, notice Paul talks about prayer, and he connects it with peace, but the line between prayer and peace is a line of gratitude, right? It's a line of gratefulness, right? Gratefulness kills anxiety. Anxiety is a vampire. Gratitude is the garlic, right? Uh, anxiety, um, anxiety is the Cleveland Browns. Gratitude is any other possible team. <laughs> See what I'm saying? There is, there is a line. We, we, we need to learn to pray thank, grateful prayers. God, thank you for President Joe Biden. God, thank you for Vice President Harris. God, thank you for this cabinet. By the way, God, Thank you for President Trump. Thank you for Vice President Pence. Right? There's got to be prayers of gratitude. And what is, what is social media? Contempt, 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 right? There's got to be prayers of gratitude. So we pray, we seek the silence and solitude, we, 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 we engage in non-anxious prayer, and then we seek the presence of God. That's what Psalm 105 said when we started. Psalm 105, I love this. 
search for the Lord in His strength, continually seek Him. So, how do you connect with God? How do you connect with God? God wires us in such a way, He wires us each uniquely to kind of encounter Him and hear from Him in unique ways, and He likes to honor that wiring. So how do you hear from God? Is it scripture? Is it prayer? Is it going on a walk? Is it art? Not art. <laughs> but, you know, painting. Uh, is, it, is it worship music? What are the ways that you find yourself connecting with God? Is it a conversation with another person? Is it praying out loud with somebody else? Extroverts in the room, raise a hallelujah. And so um, what is the means by which that you connect with God? Seek those things out. And even a simple thing that we're doing in our house right now, and we've been doing it for months now, is we just read a psalm out loud together before we go to sleep. That's all we're doing. We went, we went forwards, then we went backwards, right? Um, and, and, that's, and seek the Lord. That's, that's just seeking the Lord continually. It says, remember the things that He has done. So to discern what God is doing in the wilderness, we need to create spaces of silence and solitude where we can pray non-anxious prayers and seek after the presence of God. But above all else, let me leave you with this. You have to remember, you must remember what the wilderness is for. Okay? And the first thing to remember is that the wilderness is the path to freedom. Okay? In between slavery in Egypt and the promised land was the wilderness. In between David as anointed and David as sitting on the throne in Jerusalem was the wilderness. A lot of talk about going back to normal, right? Let me, let me tell you what you see when you look over your shoulder to the normal, right? As good as that looks, there is slavery there. As good as that looks, listen. Egypt was a place of provision and blessing and freedom before it was a place of slavery, right? So sometimes good things become bad things. And, and, and so Israel, fresh out of slavery, is looking over their shoulder and saying, man, those salmonella-y pots of meat back in Egypt, that was, pretty, that was good, right? The, the, bricks, the bricks weren't that hard to make, were they? Right? I mean... The whips, I mean, they hurt, yeah, right, but I mean, it wasn't, wasn't like terrible, <laughs> right? The wilderness, the wilderness is the path, the wilderness is the path to freedom, okay? The second thing to remember is that the wilderness is the place where God seeks to increase our hunger after him. A year ago, we were outside, it was like 80,000 degrees, preach a sermon. We want to become a church that is hungry for God. Because that's, that's what he's doing. He's allowing shakable things on earth to be shaken so that only unshakable things remain. So it loosens our grip on, I am a Republican. I am a Democrat. I am a masker. I am a no masker. I am this. I am that. This side, that side. It's trying to loosen our grip on those things so that we actually have room to grab a hold of this place where what God wants done is done. This place where he has authority and power and kingdom. This is a place where God is trying to increase our hunger. And I'll be the first to admit, I have found over the last few weeks my hunger for God lessening as my intake of news and social media increase. 
This is the place where God wants to craft in us hunger because he says this. I would feed you with the finest wheat. And with honey of the rock, I would satisfy you. Let's pray. Lord, you are here with us in the wilderness, and uh, we're thankful. But we ask that you would help us uh, to lay hold of a better compass. Help us to seek your presence. And Lord, I, I just pray for my brothers and sisters that when they seek you, they would find you. Don't be like our high school boyfriends and girlfriends. Don't play games. When we seek you, could you help us find you? In Jesus' name, amen. Here at Regen, we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word who are transformed by it. And so we often take this time to kind of stop and process scripture and and see what the Father um, is asking of us individually. And so um, my question for you this morning is, what is one thing that the Father is inviting you to do differently this week? Is that to pursue some silence and solitude? Uh, Is that to maybe engage or change the way that you're praying, to be praying non-anxious prayers to increase your gratitude? Or is it that he's just inviting you to seek more of him? So let's just take a moment and um, ask the Father. In fact, right now, just say, Father, like, come to us right now. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Let us know what it is exactly that you're asking of us this week. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful today that you reign above it all, that there is not one single thing that is not under your control. And yet, Father, we confess that we so quickly forget that. We give so much power to our earthly power and authority. We give so much power to people's opinions. We give so much power to those we see on social media to inflame our heart with passion. So, Father, we ask that you would transform that anger and that worry and that anxiety and frustration into passion for you. We pray that the overwhelming response of our our minds and our hearts would be of worship for you. The Father, that even when we are grieved, when we um, experience sadness, that we would bring those things to you and entrust them to you knowing that you are in control and that we can trust you. When everything else around us gives way, you are our hope and our stay. And so, Father, we just pray this week that we would walk faithfully with you, that we would depend fully on you, and that in doing so, others would see you in us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.